coming up a loaded, loaded episode of the Rami La Vie podcast. One of the longest episodes we've done to date for sure, but we had a lot to talk about. Game three of the World Series. It is an absolute crime that Brian Cashman never even had a conversation with Bryce Harper as he is carrying the Phillies. He carries them again tonight to a victory in a 2-1 series lead over the hated Astros. A Monday night football recap as Joe Burrow was running for his life the entire game and an upset in Cleveland. A preview of Thursday night football. One of the craziest Ranger games you'll see and one of the most fun games we've had in a while in the NHL. And speaking of the NHL, my friend Rob Taub from the NHL sat down with me. We did a whole hour conversation. We talked all things Jets, although we could have talked to the Jets for even longer. We talked hockey. We talked baseball. A great conversation with him. Plus, have you heard? The Nets are a complete mess of an organization and they continue to get worse. But have they failed up? All that and more coming up next. Episode 109 of the Rami Levy podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 109. Thanks for sharing the podcast. If you're new here, uh, welcome. And if you've been here before, again, thanks for sharing it, telling a friend. Always uh, like, subscribe, and uh, rate, review, and share it. It's greatly appreciated. It's how we grow. And the podcast, as always, is brought to you by BetterHelp. Use my name, R-A-M-I, for 10% off your first month of on line therapy and for some reason this is how it works with these podcasts it's like you go into a wednesday and i always talk about how the monday set up the wednesdays which sets up the following week and it all connects and it felt like this was going to be a week where it's going to be a little bit more dead the world series is going on but the yankees have been knocked out hockey and basketball just starting up we already talked about the knicks a little bit the rangers had what was i guess seemingly a meaningless game tonight against the flyers and we'll get into that a little bit later because it was one of the better hockey games you will see, uh, and I really mean that. It was such a fun game, but when that happens, I generally like to do a little something different, and I thought for these Wednesday episodes, 
as we are still before New Year's, I guess, and before really February, when it's still kind of middle beginning of the NFL season and the Monday and Friday podcasts are going to be so football heavy and football focused. Um, The other episodes, you don't have a lot to talk about. Like on Wednesdays, I guess we could do basketball and hockey. So I was thinking of having some more guests on. And so a friend of mine reached out to me, a guy I met through the industry. And I always talk about the kind of community that I built up and the people, how kind everyone has been, everyone I've met since I kind of came into this industry and how welcoming people have been. So this guy, I met a producer. We have a couple mutual friends. His name is Rob Taub. Um, I met him, I guess, virtually online through Twitter, through Instagram. And we've actually become friendly and become friends. And it's awesome. Uh, Like I said, building the community has been one of the cooler parts of doing this. And he texted me and was like, hey, I'd love to come on the podcast, talk hockey, talk baseball, talk football, talk Jets. He's a big Jets fan. And so I said, well, this is the perfect day for him to come on. And then what transpired, transpired. We had one of the craziest NFL trade deadlines that we've had in a while. World Series game three was nuts. We had a wild, wild Rangers game. Oh, and then also the Nets completely went rogue. And there's all that to talk about. So here's how I'm going to do it. I spoke to Rob for about an hour and it's a great uh, conversation, a great interview of us just kind of talking about the Jets. And it was funny because after we got off the call, we were saying how we could talk about the Jets for maybe three hours. We could have done a three-hour show literally just on the Jets and everything that went down this week and all the reaction and the stuff that keeps growing, whether it's with Zach Wilson, whether it's with the head coach's comments. We can talk about everything that's being said right now in the media about them. And then obviously the GM spoke today. Elijah Moore was not traded. There's a lot to talk about. So we ended up talking for about an hour. And that was, you know, what I just mentioned was just football. But we talked basketball. We talked about the Rangers. We talked about the Islanders. um, And we also talked about the Yankees and Mets. So we got into a lot of stuff. We talked about his career in the NHL as he is a producer for the NHL. So all that and more coming up. What I would usually do, though, on a Wednesday podcast is talk about the Monday Night Football game. And maybe this week I thought the game would be a little bit more chalk. I mentioned before the game, division rival. It seems like that division, specifically the AFC North, always plays each other close. I don't know. It was kind of a weird game, but it seemed like the Bengals were finally pulling it together. And it seemed like the Browns were finally starting to spiral. And then what happens happens. And that game was anything but chalk. A wild game. And if I'm Joe Burrow, and this is my biggest takeaway from that game, I'd be terrified right now. Joe Burrow could have gotten himself killed. And obviously the video that's been going around is him uh, when he was trying to tackle uh, on one of the interceptions, getting chased down by Miles Garrett. But he was getting chased down by Miles Garrett all day long. It was not normal. And he was constantly under pressure. And for all the talk that went into this offseason, or I guess, yeah, this offseason, talking about they've shored up the offensive line and they're helping Burrow out. And finally, it looked like it was starting to come together. Maybe this offense really is a little bit, I don't want to say broken because I, of how much I trust Joe Burrow, but broken, I guess, is the only word without Jamar Chase. They maybe aren't as good as we think when they don't have Jamar Chase. Maybe you expect them to lean on Joe Mixon a little bit more in the run game to try and alleviate some of that pressure from such a great pass rush that the Browns have on Joe Burrow, but they couldn't do it. Jacoby Brissett uh, in prime time was killer, and that game went just not at all as you expected. I end my week I guess nine and six, I want to say, in my picks. So not a great week week picks-wise for me as the Browns lose 32-13. And what's crazier, I almost lost in fantasy because of this. I was supposed to blow guys out, but um, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nick Chubb went off for the Browns, whereas on the other side, uh, Joe Burrow and I had uh, Tyler Boyd also were pretty quiet 
for the for the Cincinnati Bengals. Also, I love when this happens because we always see these trick plays in the NFL, and it's always like, oh, they work every time. It's just like it seems like yes, just any wide receiver can get a toss, any running back can get a toss and throw it to the end zone for a touchdown. So I love that Amari Cooper just threw an absolutely horrendous interception because it reminded you that yeah, no, this can't be done by just anyone. This is not normal. I also put out my power rankings, and for me, I put out my power rankings on social media kind of just for my own personal amusement to see the rageful tweets and DMs that I got because of these power rankings. So that's, uh, you go check that out on my Twitter and Instagram. I love putting that out there just because, like, literally because it upsets people. And I don't even respond because it's just funny. Like, to me, just watching the DMs and texts and tweets come flooding in was uh, was total amusement for myself. So there's that part of it. Also, by the way, the World Series, I mentioned that we were going to talk about that. Game three was tonight, and this is what I've talked about. It's been Harper, it's been Schwarber, it's been Hoskins. The three players that you expect to pull through for you, they do it again for the Phillies. Harper opens the scoring with the big two-run homer. Obviously, it seems like McCullers was tipping pitches. He then pulls aside Baum. Harper pulls him aside and says, you have to you have to listen to me. This is what's happening. And then Baum hits a home run. And then Schwarber, Hoskins, and Marsh, they all follow. The first pitcher to ever give up five home runs in a World Series game was McCullers. I don't know why he was left in the game that long. Twitter was on to him tipping pitches really on, uh, really early on, I should say, in this game. And yet he still remains left out there. So Philly dominates. That ballpark looked like the most fun place on earth. A 7-0 victory in Game 3 for the Phillies. Absolute wild madness. And A-Rod and Jeter were in the building, which is kind of sad. The last time those two... We're in that building. The Yankees were winning a World Series, uh, I guess, together. The Yankees were winning a World Series in 2009. I don't know if that's true, but last time they were in a World Series game, I guess, in that building, the Yankees were winning the World Series in 2009. So the Phillies, the Fightins, take a 2-1 lead in the World Series over the Houston Astros. We did get into that a little bit with Rob Tab also, because who the hell is rooting for the Astros at this point? But like you'll hear some people still are and there's an interesting reason why also the rangers game i mentioned that was crazy and that was as wild a hockey game in the regular season november game i almost said october but november game the rangers hit the post four times the rangers had the time of possession i mean i don't i didn't see the numbers on that but they had the puck in the offensive zone there was one uh one possession where the rangers had the puck for two plus minutes on a single shift in the offensive zone and it didn't leave the zone the rangers did a whole line change and they still couldn't get the puck. The Flyers couldn't out of their own zone. They have 36 shots to the Flyers, only 19 shots. And it looked like Carter Hart was just going to steal a game for the Flyers. And it looked like, especially at the end of regulation and in overtime, Kevin Hayes had three opportunities. And who would it have been? Who else would it have been? But a Philly kid, or I guess he's not a Philly kid, but I kind of associate him with Philly so much. And um, against the Rangers, a former Ranger, obviously, and Kevin Hayes, who always scores when he comes back to Madison Square Garden. And Igor shut him down three times, and with 53 seconds remaining, with a literally a dead threesome on the ice for the Rangers, Mika Zibanejad just puts, put, barely pushes the puck ahead to Kreider, who makes an incredible play, forehand to backhand, and scores the game-winning goal. Barely beats Carter Hart. Like I said, the four posts earlier in the game, one of them was from Kreider. So a crazy, crazy Ranger game, a fun game, uh, just... One of those chaotic hockey games that can only happen in hockey. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking it's amazing that there are teams that are sustained good teams in the NHL, that there are teams that win enough games because it felt like the Rangers could have dominated that entire game and still lost one nothing on a fluky goal by Philly. And 
I guess if you dominate that much for that long over time, you're going to win more games than you're not. But puck luck plays such a big role in the NHL. So to have teams like Colorado, to have teams like Tampa who have been so good for so long, it really is crazy how good you have to be to be a consistently great team in the NHL when some games can really be won at random. Also, another note that I forgot to mention on Monday Night Football uh, that I was talking about. And this is a question because I haven't watched a minute of the Manny cast. And the reason I thought about it was because Boomer Sison, who everyone knows I love, was on the Manning cast last night. And I wanted to watch part of it and I waited till this morning and I watched the highlights. But I haven't watched a minute of the Manning cast yet this year. And I was wondering, has Joe Buck taken away from the Manning cast? Like, why is it that I'm not watching the Manning cast? Am I the only one? I don't think so because we saw the numbers from earlier in the season. So is it that Joe Buck is that good that people rather listen to Joe Buck? Or is it just year two and it's gotten a little stale, it's gotten a little old? Another option is, was the broadcast so bad last year for the regular traditional broadcast on the NFL Monday Night uh, ESPN games that people just turned to the Manning cast and it blew up because people watched the Manning cast so much more? Or if you're trying to watch the game, it's just hard to watch the Mannings. Like, you can't do both those once. And like I said, they're going to post a 20-minute highlight video that's going to get you all the funny stuff. And you could have a conversation at the water cooler the next day with your friends at work after just watching the 15-minute to 20-minute video on YouTube. I don't know what it is, but the Manning cast, to me, I feel like it lost a little bit of its luster this year. Uh, It doesn't have the same juice as it had last year. I'd like to say a big part of it is Joe Buck because I terribly miss Joe Buck. And it's not to say, not to take anything away from what we're doing at Fox with Joe Davis, but uh, Joe Buck is so good and I do terribly miss him uh, in the World Series. It feels like the World Series is not the same without Joe Buck. Any hoops, uh, a bunch of trades to get to in the NFL. The Colts fired Marcus Brady, their offensive coordinator. So I went on a rant about how they didn't fire Frank Reich. Well, they decided to blame the offensive coordinator first, so we'll see what happens. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the offensive coordinator who allowed them to throw the ball all the way downfield at the end and score that touchdown. Terry McLaurin uh, setting up the touchdown over Stephon Gilmore, but whatever. They also trade Naeem Hines. This was a weird situation for me. My father offers me Devin Singletary this morning in a trade. He offers me Devin Singletary in a trade for Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs has dropped a few passes. It seems like it's a total mess in Green Bay. So I was like, you know what? I'll trade him. It didn't look like any of the big name running backs was going to get traded to Buffalo. So I said to my father, and this is, of course, we're talking about fantasy football. I said to my father, I was like, is there something you know? Because he texted me. He's like, I said, I don't think Buffalo's training for a big name running back. I guess they still can. He then texts me, well, Naeem Hines could be traded. He could be a RB1 if he goes elsewhere. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't think he's going to Buffalo. Fine. And then sure enough, he ends up in Buffalo. So I don't, my father claims he knew nothing about Naeem Hines. I don't know why that was the name he brought up. He didn't bring up any other name. He didn't mention Alvin Kamara. He didn't mention anyone else. He said Naeem Hines when I asked him if he thought Buffalo was going to trade for a second running back. And that's why he was trying to trade away Devin Singletary. But he mentioned Naeem Hines. Sure enough, two hours later, Naeem Hines gets traded to the Buffalo Bills, but he claims he knew nothing about it. I don't know. Kind of suspicious curious timing on him also Bradley Chubb goes to Miami and if you look at what the GM in Miami has done the job he has done an incredible job essentially and I know a lot of people have been tweeting about this so it's unoriginal but uh, I'll tell you this Chris Greer has been the general manager since 2016 in Miami he essentially traded away Trey Lance got Jalen Waddle, got Tyreek Hill and got Bradley Chubb for the picks that he traded away Trey Lance for really incredible job uh, all things considered and Chris Greer And what he's done for the Miami Dolphins franchise is really impressive. And they could be a real, real team uh, in the AFC now. I definitely think that that changes where they're standing as long as Tua uh, can get back to the early season form he was in 
and the groove they were in with Mike McDaniel before everything got derailed with the whole concussion stuff. Calvin Ridley, who's suspended still for the season, goes to the Jags, and that's kind of a weird trade, but I guess now they have their top wide receiver for next year. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. That was like a weird trade that wasn't expected. Claypool goes to Chicago, and it seems like Chicago got fleeced on that one. Claypool was unhappy, and apparently Pittsburgh was unhappy with him as well. And no wide receiver for the Rodgers in Green Bay. It's like they pretend the position does not exist. I don't know why the Packers refuse to trade for a wide receiver and build on what is one of the best uh, or take advantage of one of the, what, what is one of the best quarterbacks of all time and clearly a guy who still has the talent to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league. And I'm not sure what they're doing in Green Bay, uh, but it's definitely pissing Aaron Rodgers off. Odell Beckham Jr., is that an option for them? But I don't know. With them, the way they neglect the position, I doubt they'll even sign Odell Beckham Jr., also, no Elijah Moore trade from the Jets. So that wraps a bow on that. And of course, Joe Douglas comes out. They say all the right things. We like Elijah. We want him here. There's clearly a disconnect. Also, we talked about that with Rob. All right. So I'm going to send it over to my interview with Rob Taub. Coming up, my boy Rob Taub and I chop it up about all things New York sports. Like I said, we could have gone on for hours. So producer from the NHL, Rob Taub, joins me next. All right. One of the coolest things that I've done since I started this podcast is I've really built a community and it's been cool to me to see that so many people, whether it's virtually, even in person uh, that I've met through this um, are great people. And one of those people is Rob Taub, who's joining me now on the Rami Lovey podcast. Rob, thanks for doing this, buddy. Appreciate you having me, man. You are a producer for the NHL. And so I kind of what I do on this podcast a little bit when I have guests on is I like to talk about their stories because I think, you know, a lot of people talk about sports. But human interest stories and definitely people in the industry is something that interests me and hopefully my listeners also. Uh, so tell me about your story, how you got involved, how you got to the NHL, how you got to where you are right now. So I went to college uh, to be a journalist. Uh, I went for journalism, went to Brooklyn College. And in that time, uh, I had an internship with the legendary sports writer, Stan Fischler. And for a number of years, I was covering Islander games, Ranger games, Devil games and you know events here and there. And I was helping him produce his weekly newsletter. And um, that led to, I got, ended up with, you know, a copy, like a copywriting copy editing job. And yeah, I did that for two years before the pandemic. And as the pandemic hit, I lost, uh, I was let go from that job. And I got hired by the New York Post out of nowhere to be an overnight digital producer. And I didn't know what that meant. And then I realized because technically I was I've been blogging about hockey on on the side for so many years up until about a year or two ago. That's basically oh you're just helping, you know, put stuff together, uh, put content together before it goes out onto the web. So I was like oh like uh, this seems pretty cool. So that lasted a year, and last summer I spent uh, I spent most of the summer looking for a new position, and then out of nowhere the NHL came. And I was actually, the funny the funny thing is, I was actually in the running for two positions. One was an international web producer, which basically would have been the same thing that I'm doing just on the international side. And then a seasonal producer, which would have been doing stuff uh, with the regular NHL website uh, with the league and helping out just the day, like day-to-day uh, stuff behind the scenes, you know, recaps, articles, all, you know, all the, all the stuff that goes into digital production. So I ended up getting the seasonal producer gig and I was there last year and it was a blast like getting to see all the behind the scenes stuff that you know you think you know about that goes into how the league runs and it was like it was like a total shock to to the system like I thought that I knew a lot about the game and like what goes into it and how it's run and how the 
the NHL runs the, like runs itself as a league. And I was like, it was crazy. Some of the stuff that I learned and I was brought back this year and I've been doing that now. And uh, also just doing freelance stuff for News 12 out here on Long Island. And I'm basically doing the same thing. I'm kind of behind the scenes, news-wise, getting stuff ready. So a lot of people, like, when they ask me, like, what my position is, and they're like, oh, so do you write? I'm like, technically, I don't write anymore. Like, I just help put the story together so you can see it, like, on your computer, on your phone, and, like, stuff like clips and videos, all that stuff. That's all me getting all that stuff ready for you guys before anyone else gets to see it. Yeah, and so cool how I've seen this with everyone, but when you hustle and you put the time in, then you said all of a sudden oh, yeah. these random things happen, right? Where all of a sudden you get an opportunity from the NHL and whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's crazy how that works, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I like while I was working with Stan during the time I was, I was blogging on my own. And I was I was doing this thing with uh, this, uh, this website called Isles Blog. I was approached about it about six or seven years ago. And I was going to be like helping with content. And at first I started with doing just like a social media recap of the night, like, you know, cool tweets about the game, things like that, whatever. And then it turns into like, oh, like I have free reign to do whatever I want. So I started writing. I started blogging. I started, you know, creating my own content. And within a couple of years, like I was my own, like I was my own content system. And I was like, all right, I think it's time I need to like bring some people on. So I ended up going from, just being a contributor to I was helping run the Twitter account, running the social media channels. And then I brought in uh, a number of people to help me on the content side. I don't know when you might know is James Nichols. He works for the fourth period. Now yep. I brought like, I brought him along. I uh, had conversations with him. Great reporter does, does great stuff. And then me and him, we collab and we kind of like took it upon ourselves to become like co-editors in chief. And we brought on college kids. We brought on, people who used to write for newspapers. Like, so like, I wouldn't, I don't want to say that, like, I learned a lot experience wise, like helping build out a team of writers and contributors and bloggers. But I definitely think like that helped me kind of also get to where I want like where I've gotten to now is all the stuff that goes into the production game. It's like, it's not just even the content, it's finding the right people who are going to be able to do it you know, finding the right people who have the voice of what your what you want your blog or your direction of the website to be. And, you know, it's just like everything it kind of like feels like it went very, very quickly over the past couple of years. And now I am where I am now. But I feel like every little stepping stone that I need, like and like you said, the grind, like I grinded my way to get to where I am. And I'm hope like I'd like to make this a career with what I'm doing now. But I know like the steps that I've taken to get here were not were not easy. You know, blogging for fifty dollars a week and stuff like that. It's you know, you look back on I'll, hopefully in a couple of years or you know, 10, 15 years from now when I'm because I still sometimes even help out people who are trying to get into the get into the news business now. And I'm like, just create content and do whatever. And it's not even I was told a long time ago, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. So yeah, all that stuff, all that stuff taken into account. You know, it's got me to where I am and you know, I can't complain what I'm with where it's got me to. Yeah, it, it is really amazing. And obviously you're a big hockey fan. Uh oh, so yeah. you said you learned a bunch of other stuff. What is maybe the biggest surprise you would say that you've learned so far in the NHL? Uh the biggest surprise I think is seeing a lot of the stuff that, you know, there's like suspensions, there's, you know, uh, situation rooms, all that stuff. I'm seeing it before anybody else. So I know what, like, it, before it goes out, I'm helping 
you know, put it all together before it goes out. and seeing that. Are you allowed to gamble on the NHL? I am not allowed to gamble on the NHL. Uh, that well, was that one thing sense. that they, that's one thing that they said last year, they made it explicitly clear, even though they do have gambling, uh, they have connections with that MGM and with, you know, a few other uh, companies, but like seeing all that stuff was like, wow. Like, so any, like, you know, I'm seeing stuff that like months in advance that people don't even know like that's going to come out that people don't even know about. And it's, it's very cool. And I, you know, I've learned to now keep myself like a little bit more quiet on the Twitter side with that kind of stuff. But it's, that's one of the things being at the NHL, like I didn't know what to expect. I thought, okay, maybe I was just going to be watching games and, you know, doing like little things here and there because there was, I was with the NHL at one time, a couple of years back, I was a, a, a game, a game day monitor. So what that entailed to was, I would watch the games and I would like basically would like be like watching center ice and like the radio broadcast and keeping track of it. Like when it would start, when it would end, when the goal markers would show up, what's not showing up. Like, so I had a little bit of feel like, okay, I'm getting paid to watch hockey. That's great. This is just another opportunity, which is awesome. Yep. But yeah, getting to see all like getting to see all the stuff before it comes out and all the things that like people want to know, like are people that, you know, even on like a, like tonight, like, you know, let's say like the Rangers, like there's a situation room and it's like, it could be the uh, defining moment of the game. Like I'm getting to see that before anybody else. So I know what, uh, so I get to see what the explanation is and you know, what kind of bat, like, I'm not saying of course there's going to be backlash or there's going to be whatever on social media, but it's like to see that and to know that and to read about like why, like why they made this decision and what's so like this and that, that's like the really cool part of like being the behind the being behind the scenes. Well, maybe you could explain why they took the, uh, I think it was the Filipino goal, right? Off uh, in game one against Pittsburgh last year in the playoffs for the Rangers. Because, I mean, that one, <laughs> I was in the building and that cost me three more hours of my life um, because. I was I was actually not working. I wasn't, I was with News, I was at News 12 that night. I wasn't working with the NHL that night. I worked, I was working game two instead of game one. So, Got it. Yeah. It's Six fun. hours of my life I'll never get back. So you're obviously a huge Islander fan, but I do want to shift quickly because you're also a Jets mm-hmm. fan. Um, so uh, I want to start there because they're in the news a lot this week. Not for good reason, again. Yeah. Um, so I want to start, and I don't know if you saw this, but Robert Sala's comments today where he said, and I, I assume it was today or yesterday, where he said that, hey, nobody expected us to be five and three. And, well, a big part of that is Zach Wilson. So how could you complain about this? He's four and one as a starter. And what I say to that is expectations change. Like no one would have thought the Rangers would get to where they got last year. I'm a Rangers fan, obviously. And no one would have thought they would get to the conference finals. And I talk about this a lot. But once you're up 2-0 in the conference finals and have a 2-0 lead in game three, expectations change. I'm sorry, Robert Sala. When you're five and two and the defense looks this good, the expectations change. And this is not a good Patriots team. And they didn't beat you. You beat yourself. So what what do you think about those comments and where the Jets are today versus where they were maybe a week ago? I think he I think it's a 50-50 kind of thing to think because yeah, no one did expect them to be five and three. I did not expect them to be five and three. I mean, I told a lot of people before the season that were optimistic about the Jets. I'm like, I'm feeling it too. I think they could be a good team. Like you saw the the chemistry was building from the moment that uh the, this past draft where they got guys who they knew we're going to become, you know, guys who are going to make immediate impact, going to have immediate impact. And, you know, you're right. Like expectations do change. And look, I was there on Sunday and it was, 
it was a great like it was a great atmosphere and everything but it was brutal like because that was the game that was the game that was going to change everything and yeah we can go on and on like yeah no one expected them to be five and three and you're right expectations are now much higher and zach this is what i think people still don't get about zach is he's young he's going to make mistakes this year wasn't i don't think was supposed to be the year for this team to make that what they've done so far i thought it was going to be next year i thought because i remember at the end of last season i thought we had our quarterback i thought zach was fantastic the let when he came back from the injury and the way he played against way he played against tampa the way he played against uh a few other a few other opponents he was phenomenal and you saw like all right this guy like just get a few more pieces around him which they have and now it's like uh, now they're like expected to, you know, contend for a playoff spot this year, uh, you know, in the next couple, like the rest of the season. And that's great. I wasn't expecting it to be this year. I was expecting next year, but you're right. Now expectations have changed. And this is with Zach. And, you know, I watch all the shows and listen to Cardin Roberts and all the people that talk about him. Yeah. They were four and zero with him. He wasn't turning the ball over that to me. I don't care how they win. I don't care if he goes 10 for 15 for 50 yards. If he's not turning the ball over, I don't care. Agreed. Like that's Agreed. the biggest thing. That's why on Sunday with the way the game unfolded, where if they go up 17-3 and I will go to my grave saying that, well, not my grave, but that kid, that play might have, might change the entire season. 100%. I don't want to say it, it might, well, we could say that now, but Let's talk about like let's look well, at if they won weeks. that game, they would have had an 80% chance to make the playoffs versus if losing it, they only have a 40% oh, yeah. chance of making the playoffs now. But, and that was the play that changed the entire yeah. game. And yeah, to me, like everyone wants to play that the interception. And yes, they were egregious, but that one play, it's a 10-point swing. You go up from being it would, from from 10-6 to 17-3, where Zach, then he could be they could be conservative. You don't have Not only to that, have wasn't it 13? Wasn't it 13-10 by the time he got the ball back because the Pats got the ball first and scored in the second half? Yes. Yeah, yep. it was. It, it, like that, just the entire swing of the game. And, it, you know, I, listening to what everyone was saying today that he needs to grow up and, you know, this is, he needs to gain experience to be mature. At that point of the game, when you're down, like, when you haven't had the ball for, I would think, about 40, 45 minutes, but just because it was also halftime. It felt like, like an hour in real time, yes. It did. Oh, it absolutely did. That's the point where, like, all right, you're only down by three. Don't, you know, don't make the big mistake, but play, you know, make the smart plays. And he wasn't. Even the, like, forget the interceptions. He's got to throw the ball away. He really needs to learn how to throw. I know he doesn't want, he he gets bored. I don't give a shit. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm from cursing. All good. But you got to, but you got to throw the ball away, man. It's still going to give your team a chance to, to get some points. And I don't know why, and this is also something I think forget Zach, the way they went away from the running game on Sunday was extremely questionable because they only ran the ball 15 times. And I don't think New England's defense is that great against Chicago the ran the ball down their throat and you knew See, they were that, lining up and running. I was telling people for the entire week. I said, I said it even on Monday night when Chicago was ripping them apart. I'm like, I'm scared to death now about this game because Oh, I, Bill Belichick after that, being humiliated on a Monday yes, night. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, I was really scared, not not even because Zach didn't play that well against Denver, but the fact that New England was coming off a horrendous loss and 
the fact that it was the biggest Jets game in 10 years, not even just home game, their biggest game in 10 years. It's like every, like all the ingredients were like talking, like we're like feeling like a let, like it was going to be a letdown. Like, like the Jets going into Buffalo with Fitzpatrick, right? In 2015. I felt like that. To me, I think it's two totally different scenarios. Like, of course. Like right now, middle of the season doesn't uh, no way, no, not even no way compares to that. Like, but it's different because, because this team is younger I, and has yeah. something to build on, right? Yeah. So no, you're right. And I don't know. I going into this week and the rest of the season, if they I I don't think they're gonna win this week. And it sucks to say that because you wanna you wanna think your team is gonna win every week, but Buffalo's on a totally different level. If they can like I give them a one percent chance to win, and that's like that's being generous. If they don't get blown out, I won't be upset. Like, at least show that you're in the – like, at least show that you're making strides. Play the Bills to the best that you can. Like, I don't want to say – like, I watched some of that game on Sunday with the pack, like the Packer-Bill game, and it looked like almost like the Bills got bored. And if you can, like, lull them to sleep, maybe you can catch them on an off week. And the fact that this is a division game, and not to say I was there last year – at my life when the Jets when they played when they played the Bills and it was the Mike White I don't want to go back out there game. That game was close at the half and they were in it and then everything just fell apart. This year is different. Like if you could show the Bills that all right, we're not gonna like we're not just gonna let you like come in here and run us over, I'd actually feel more confident about going the way the rest of the season going into the bye if that happens. I don't care like if they lose, they lose. Can't but at five and four you're still you have a 500 record. Your schedule is not getting is not as hard the rest of the way. I mean, I know they have the Vikings. I know they have the Lions. They have the uh, um, they have the Bears. Like it's not a terrible schedule. They can definitely make the playoffs if they can get a wild card. I'll be ecstatic. But I'm still not ready to think that they're there yet. And even if and but I think if they play hard this game, like if they play hard on Sunday. And they lose a close game, I'll actually take that more as a win than if than if they actually won because I I don't think they're going to. Yeah, with the way this week went and everything that happened mm-hmm. since the game, it feels like this is setting up for them to get blown out by Buffalo at home That's and then go into saying. the bye. Yeah, and and then go into the bye that way. And now you put yourself in a position where almost you have to beat the Patriots coming out of the bye because you lost them at home. But you you were better than them. You threw the game like the Patriots had five field goals. And you mentioned the uh, JFM hit going into the half. You mentioned Zach Wilson's comments about being, quote unquote, bored after the game. Like how much of that is on coaching then? Because we've seen John Franklin Myers so many times with late hits already this year. We've seen Zach Wilson make decisions that these aren't a talent issue. And I don't know if you saw this from Alan Hahn. He said, it, it, he talked it. about um did you see what alan Hahn wrote i wrote what he, i saw what he tweeted yeah, yeah so he tweeted about what right what connor hughes said and I'll, I'll just read it real quick he said that they're definitely sticking with zach wilson and Hahn wrote this is the only correct answer how do you develop a, a qb you took at number two if you bench him for correctable mistakes there's talent mm-hmm. there what he lacks is maturity and experience zach isn't seeing ghosts like sam he's just impatient anxious and a bit too arrogant those feel like coachable mistakes. And do you trust this coaching staff to correct those mistakes is the question. I think I do. I, look, I think a lot of people still are like not on the fence about Salah. I think, he, you know, when they when they got him, I was ecstatic because I was like, this guy seemed like he seems like he gets it. He brought in, you know, qualified you know, coordinators. He brought in people that are going to help this organization get to the next level. And 
I think with coach with that with coaching, I think they are correctable mistakes. And I think this is the coaching staff to do it. Do I think Michael Floor is a great offensive coordinator? No. Do I think he's a competent offensive coordinator? Yes. But I think they also need to start playing to his strengths. And this is something that I'll always say, like Joe Beningo has been saying this. I've heard it a million times over the past couple of weeks. They got to let him use his legs. Yeah. And I almost, I almost get the sense that after what happened in that preseason game in Philadelphia, they're scared to let him use his legs because he's going to do something reckless. And they mentioned that on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember which game it was where he actually had a nice run and made a cut back to the inside to pick up a first down. And then on the broadcast, they're like, yeah, when we talk to the Jets this week, it feels like they're scared to let him run a little bit. Yeah, that can't happen because that's his strength. And if the point of this year is to find out what Zach actually is, which coming into this year, that's what we thought, right? We thought that this whole season was to find out what Zach is. You said we didn't expect him to make the playoffs before this season. But if you mm-hmm. need to find out what he is, then you got to play to his strengths, like you said. And so playing to his strengths means getting him out of the pocket, moving him around, using what is so incredible about him, which is his mobility and his arm strength, and making that work. If you go back to the games last year, the ones that they won, the Tennessee game, the Jacksonville game, the, he was using his legs. And when yep. they let him use his legs and he gets out of the pocket, Good things happen. Like that's the thing is they got to play to his strength. His strength, you know, he's not a pocket passer. I think we've established that by now. He's just not. He's not one of those guys that came out of college who was a pocket passer. And I'm willing to accept that. But if you have a guy who can use his legs, like a Justin Herbert, like a Patrick Mahomes, and I'm not saying he's like those guys, but he can use. He can run. He can run. We've seen he can use his legs. And when there's nothing there, and I go back to one specific play. And this has been brought up all over social media. Yeah, I know Sunday, what you're about to talk the about fourth, the fourth and five. Yep. He's got an open lane to the end zone. Run, use your legs, kid. Don't need to throw the ball. You have ten, you have ten yards of open space. What are and you between, doing? Between that and his comments after the game, it almost tells you to, that he's thinking too much during the plays. You know that yeah, he's trying I, to. I do agree. Too, yeah, that he has too much in his head right now, and that's why I bring up the coaching staff. Uh, but I mean. They like Look, you, you said. Can't, yeah, go I'm ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say you can't keep. He's only in his second year. This franchise cannot keep doing two years of quarterbacks every single. I know it's been like that for a long time. Sooner or later, it's got to stop. And I feel like he could be the guy that stops it. And I just still think he's only played. He's really only played. He's only played like less than twenty games in his career. And now where this franchise is, because yes. Right now, he's holding them back because they have talent. They have a lot of talent. They probably got the most talent that I've seen in my entire life. Yep. Even going back to the, uh, even going back ten years to the, the, Sanchez, the two yes. AFC championship. Yeah. Yep. And that, but that was veteran talent. This is young talent. This is talent that could last you six, seven, eight years. And I'll throw Elijah Moore in there, and I still don't understand why they didn't use him on Sunday. I thought like after because of what happened to Corey Davis. And that he was, I thought that Elijah Moore was going to be Zach's like main target on uh, this past Sunday. And he's still sending out like cryptic tweets today, which is just. Yeah, I I don't know what something I I don't know. I I think and this is where I think it's messed up because those two games against Green Bay and against um, Denver, Denver, Zach barely threw the ball. Like he did not throw the ball. They didn't need him to throw the ball. They need him to manage the game, which I thought he did. But. If you're a wide receiver and 
look, from Moore's standpoint, he wants the ball. I get it. He got it last year when. But there was footage of him he, last year when he was upset, right I on know, the sideline. So I, I even saw when that. he was getting the ball, right? But but now the team is in a better position to win. So, but like, and this is where I take like a guy like even like Garrett Wilson. I don't think he cares about getting the ball. I think he wants to win. I think most of these guys want to win. I think with Moore and. I said this to someone, I think A.J. Brown was in his ear because we saw what happened with A.J. Brown. They were teammates at Ole Miss, and I think what, what happened with him in Tennessee, and he ended up getting getting his wish and getting traded to uh, to Philadelphia, Right. that's a guy who was probably in his ear. And, I don't, and I'm not accusing him of in it being in a negative or a positive way, but I think you have a guy like that who is one of the best wide receivers in the game, and he's in a guy, a second-year player's ear, what do you think is going to happen? Like yep. he's going to, and uh, I mean, look, a game like this week, just to get back to it, this is the kind of game where you need a guy like Elijah Moore to bust loose. Now that he's still here, I didn't think they were going to, I thought it was a, like a 10% chance he was going to be gone or traded. Did yeah. not see it happening because I, he's only, he's still a kid. That's, that's yep. something I think even like the going back to Zach Wilson, he's still a kid. Like these guys are kids. I mean, these these two guys are kids. Let them make the mistakes, and hopefully, it ends up working out. But it'll it'll be progression in the end because of it. So, it's just like, yeah, and know. and JD has done a great job, like bringing in no, these no, young fantastic talent. Fantastic job. And, and part of it has felt like, and you talked about Garrett Wilson for for a second there, but I feel like his attitude. I don't know if you saw the video of him, the message from his dad on draft night. Like, I feel like he has yes, maybe yes. the best makeup as far as a, a Jets player we've had in a long time. Just his, you know, how he is as a as a kid, oh, like yeah. his his makeup and personality. But with Elijah Moore, like you mentioned, there's talent there. So now it's time for the coaching staff because I don't want this to fall on JD. He's done an incredible job, and if this blows they up. Need to do- they need to exploit it. Yeah. They, they need, need to exploit it. Yeah. And and that means the Bills this week, the bye, and then New England. I'll take losing by less than 10 points to the Bills, a bye week, yes. and then a win in New England as a huge, massive W in the next three weeks. But if that doesn't happen and this season gets derailed, I mean, at that, that point, that's on the coaching to me and on the veterans in the room more than anything else. All right, I think See, we've done enough on this because I'm so – go ahead. I'll, I'll one just, more thing. Yeah. I'll just say that. I'll say one thing. If this season gets derailed, I won't be surprised because this is, as I said to you earlier, this is not supposed to be the year that they make the jump. So if it gets derailed, but if they if they can finish off eight and eight, nine and seven, and if they sneak into the playoffs, great. But I'm just like, I'm still like they're still progressing. There's I don't think they're at that point yet. I feel, and I'll go on the record saying, if they beat the Patriots in New England. That's when I think I'll feel much differently about this season. Yeah, and that it won't go off the rails. That's got to be the game. I don't care about. Not saying I don't care about the Buffalo game, but the New England game because they're going to have a, a bad taste in their mouth from from this past Sunday, and you're going to have to beat these sons of bitches sooner or later. It's going to have like you. And the defense did it. their job, and this team isn't that the good. Defense is fantastic. This defense is unbelievable. It is, yep. but mistakes can't make mistakes and but like we said they're all coachable mistakes they can all be fixed exactly and and i just hope like i said because jd and i this was something that jason lockenfora who's on our radio station here um in baltimore said to me last year at a holiday party he mentioned he's like 
you know, JD, he's not he's not Woody Johnson's guy. He was brought in while Woody was gone. So just yeah. look out for that, because if it gets derailed, I don't want it to be pinned on JD because he's been the reason that they're even in this position to have a season that gets derailed. <laughs> you know, I don't th- I don't even think you could put this on Joe Douglas. And I don't think you can put this on Robert Tall. I think it's the sometimes it's the player, the personnel. Maybe it's just not the right personnel sometimes. I think we saw some of that during the gate. Well, I don't want to mention the Adam Gase era, but the personnel, like, just for example, like a Tremaine Johnson, like, are you, like, that was right. one of those guys who was supposed to be brought in here to help change the culture and to help this team win. He did absolutely nothing. He was a total joke. He was a joke here. Right. You know, I, I think uh, one of those culture changing guys, we talked about the young guys so much, but I think Brees Hall was one of them. I don't know if you saw if you oh, followed yeah. the, the Jets social media team, but every time when they have like the practice and all the players coming out, he just points up at the Jets logo. He's like, I don't need to say anything. That's just like a guy yeah. who gets it. It's all about the team. It's all about that, winning. That one hurts. That one really hurts because he would have been rookie of the year without question. 100%. I don't think that. And we still got one on the other side. Oh, yeah. Well, sauces. I don't know why I felt like when they drafted him, like this kid's going to be a stud no matter what. Like I felt I had no doubts about him. Kind of almost the same way I felt about Garrett Wilson, the same way I felt about Elijah Moore. And I still feel that way about them. Uh, it's just the Brees, the Brees one hurt. And I don't like we mentioned it on Sunday. They only ran the ball 15 times. And I don't know why. Yes, maybe because uh, James Robinson, he's a new toy in your system. Let him just go. Like yeah. see what he's got. Like I hope, this son and I haven't looked up the. I don't know what the bill what the bills are like against the run. This is the kind of game I'd like to see them just let Robinson run wild. I'm not saying you don't you know don't use Michael Carter because I thought he was good on Sunday. I thought that they when they were when he was being effective, that's when they kind of went away from him. And I didn't understand that. But this game coming up, I want to see them let Robinson go. Like just let him loose. See see what you can see what yep. you have in him because. He's going to be here the rest of the year, and who knows how? Like he might be here for the next couple of years. So right. see what you got with him. So and plus, the Bills are a quick strike offense. If the Jets can control the clock and time of possession, and by running the ball, you do that. They they can stay in this game and maybe even pull it out. Like it's the NFL; anything can happen any given Sunday. So look, I, I don't think they're going to get blown out forty to three. This this team, the way they've been playing and this defense, I can't see that happening. If it does happen, okay, you got blown out, but. Everything the they've been in, in so far. Yeah. And everything they've been in so far. The defense has been great. They kept them in it. So you can't just, I can't expect, like, I'm not expecting them to get blown out. I really, I, and it, as I said, keep it within 10 points. Exactly. I feel that's a win. That's a win. That's a win. Kind of pathetic that we said that, but that's a win. All right. Speaking of, yeah. <laughs> um, the World Series, I was hoping maybe when we first talked about doing this a few weeks ago, I was hoping it would be a Subway Series. Um, yeah. But I feel like, The World Series still has kind of divided the city in a weird way. I don't know how much you're watching, but as a Mets fan, I can't imagine you rooting for the Phillies. And me as a Yankee fan, I hate the Astros. So I feel like the city is still so divided on the World Series now. I mean, I've kind of dropped off with baseball. Of course, I'm watching the World Series because it's the World Series. And yes, I want the Phillies to lose by any means necessary because I think I tweeted this after they won won the NLCS. I've seen the Nationals win. I'm forgetting, forget the Dodgers because I knew they were going to win, but the, and then I saw the Braves win. I don't need to see the Phillies win a world series. No. I've seen enough. I've seen enough of that the past couple of years. And I'll say that because this, like this, might this year might've been the Mets one real good shot because I know Atlanta is bringing everyone back next year. Now you have the Phillies 
who are going to be good again. I don't know for how long. I don't think it's going to be like the Ryan Howard years because I think they're an older kind of team. I mean, I know they've got young guys. They've got Marsh. They've got who? Like, I don't want to. Bryce is only thirty. I know. Well, Bryce is Bryce, and like the Marlins are not going to. Sooner or later, they're going to turn it around. Whenever, and then the Nationals—they're still a thorn in the Mets side. Whenever, whenever they need to be, but regarding like the city being divided, I can't. Like, I fully understand why you're rooting for the rooting for the Phillies, even though as win. I know that validates I mean, I, the entire era of these teams, because until now we could say the only year they won was when they were a hundred percent cheating. Right. But if they win this year, although they tried to cheat in games one and two, apparently too, but then, you know, yeah. that validates it. I, I mean, I, I look, I wouldn't care if the Phillies won. A lot of people actually made the point to me that maybe it would motivate, be more motivating for the Mets if they won, because yeah, you, you saw the Braves Steve do Cohen. it. Yep. Yeah. Well, I love Steve and he's going to do I feel like now he's going to do whatever it takes to be a winning franchise. I like, I fully, fully believe that in my heart uh, as a Met. Like I kind of dropped off as a Met fan for a little bit because like, you know, the will ponds and everything, it just like, it can only take so much. And then once Steve, like, I'm like, all right, I'm, in, I'm reinvigorated. And I know that that first half of the year, not this year, but the past year where they were in first place for however long, and it just like, it still didn't seem like they were fully there yet. This past year, it felt like they were ready to make that jump. And I still think they can. I I just don't want to see – I don't care if the Phillies win, but I just don't want to see it. Yeah, I really don't want to see it And because I'm sick of seeing teams in the NL East win and it not being the Mets because I watched the – I watched a lot of the playoffs. I watched a lot of the MLB playoffs on the National League side. I think the Mets could have to- went toe-to-toe with anybody. I really do. I think they could. I think, I so think they would. I think if they would have gotten matched up with Atlanta, I think there would have been not even just a motivation factor, but you blew your chance at the division. And now you get another shot at these guys. Take your swing and hit them where it hurts and don't let them get up. And it just yep. didn't it just didn't happen. So yeah. I mean the, the Dodgers were vulnerable, Padres were vulnerable, were vulnerable. Of course, the Phillies, like they came out of nowhere. St. Louis looked vulnerable. Like this was probably the best chance the Mets would have. And I'm not saying they won't have another one, you know, in the next couple of years, but I feel like this year really, really, it stings more because they could have been playing in the world series right now. It's amazing to hear that from Mets fans because the positivity around the team towards Steve Cohen just gives me hope as a Jets and Knicks fan, you know, to see that, that maybe those franchises can turn it around. But you mentioned it's a small window. DeGrom is older. Scherzer's older. They went in on those guys. What do you think? Where do you think they go from here? They have so many guys with Nimmo, DeGrom, uh, Diaz, so many guys who are pending free agency right now. So where do you think they go this offseason? Do they try and maximize this window, or are they going to try and play the long game? I think there's a shot they do both. I feel like DeGrom stays. I don't know why. Uh, you know, I, People could talk all he wants. Oh, he's from Florida. Like You grew up in Brazil. That doesn't matter. I don't think that matters now. Like, this is not, I mean, the way he is a god here in this city, even when he's not at his best, he's still DeGrom. And uh, with the other guys, I hope Edwin Diaz is signed the minute free agency opens by them because that's a guy, he's a once in a generational closer. Like, he was as lights out as I've ever seen a player in any sport that I've watched in my lifetime this past year. It's almost like it was automatic. Like you had no doubts he was going to get the job done. With Brandon Nimmo, 
I like Brandon Nemo. I think he's a great, I think he's great. I think he's a little injury prone, but who they all are. But I think he's one of your guys. He's one of your core guys. He he loves playing here. I think he really likes it here. I would re-sign him. I want them to go at like what I saw, what really I think the real this season wasn't even the, the Sterling Martin injury. It did to a point. But what I want to see is what happened in September where they just stopped doing everything that was making them successful. They stopped. They had no plate discipline. They almost, they did. I don't, I want to, I don't want to say that they took their opponents lightly because I feel like that's more of a hockey term and more of a football yep. term as opposed to a baseball term. Cause baseball, you have nine innings hockey. It's a little bit like those two sports, right. but all the things that went wrong for them or that kind of how it unfolded in September they need to figure out in the offseason like how to not let that happen again because they should have won the division. They absolutely should have won 100%. the division. They were, I think they were the better team. They were the better team for however long, but there was still something missing about them. And I think that's what kind of caused it more than the injuries. There was something missing about this team. And you brought in guys like Scherzer to be like veteran, like you brought in guys like Scherzer and Marte, like for veteran leadership. And I feel like they still don't – I think they, they have the right mix, but I still think there's one or two guys they need to bring in to really, really put it over the top. I really, really think that. And I think that's what's going to be the difference between them, what happened to them this year, and them fighting for a World Series again next year. Yeah, and I, I can't even – to me, it's crazy that I don't remember the last time or any time in my life, for that matter, that I feared – that the best player on the Yankees might get signed by the Mets. Like this world is upside down with Steve Cohen and where the <laughs> Yankees franchise is right now. I'll tell you, like as a as a Mets fan, I can't see it. I, I of course I could like of I can't either. Happen. If he's if he's gonna leave, I think it would be the West Coast. I think well, he's a California kid. Yeah. And we see now because saw with John Tavares. We've seen it with other guys. They like to go home. They like playing at home. They like being closer to family. What's, you know, whatever reasons they have with look, if he throws the book at judge, great. If he doesn't sign, I'm not going to be upset. Like I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, it's all about the money, but I, this is the first time in my life that I don't trust the Yankees to be the team to give them the most money. I don't think you should have. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think you should have been trusting the Yankees for the past five years. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I feel like ever since that run to the ALCS in 2017, where it looked like they were going to become like the big, like the Bronx bombers again. And then the way things have just tra- like the trajectory has gone down. They have year. not gotten back to that point and Boone's still back and we'll see about Cashman, but he'll probably still be, still be back. And it's like, I don't recognize the franchise that I'm watching anymore. I just don't. And I've talked so much about them on my podcast that I don't even want to talk about it anymore, but I, I don't uh, recognize I don't. this team. I don't think Boone is a bad manager. I think it's more, I think it's the GM. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's time for a change. And I know they said Cashman is coming back and that would actually make me more like would up, not upset, but it would be like, it would make me question more like, okay, what's it going to take for this guy to finally like for them to say, all right, you've been here for like 25 years. I think it's time for a change. Like, you know, yep. when, when is it time? And they haven't been to the world series in 13 years now. They haven't. I mean, yeah, sure, they've won playoff series, but they haven't even gotten back to the World Series yep. since that. Like, it's not even. It shouldn't even about winning a World Series. Get there. They haven't got there. And you had a they young core. You had a young core yeah. in two thousand and fifth, two thousand seventeen. 
that he was a big part of of building, right? Because of the trades he made. Yeah. And you yep. got to the ALCS game seven and you haven't gotten as far as that. You couldn't capitalize on that. And now that window's closed because Sanchez is gone, obviously, and Duhar is gone. All these guys, right? And Glaber might be next and Judge might be next too. Greg Bird didn't work out. So if you look up and down the list of that young core, you didn't capitalize on that. So how's that not a fireable offense? I I have no idea. And I, I also take this into account. Nobody fears the Yankees anymore. Not Nobody. at all. Uh, and it did not used to be like that. I feel like they have not been a team that's been feared almost going back a decade. Yeah, the because, media's clowning on them these days. Well, when you do what Aaron Boone, and I don't know, I'd love to know if this was actually true with the whole video and showing them the 2004, the whole 2004 I Red mean. Sox thing. I, I thought that was hysterical. I also thought that was very alarming that he would go to that length to try and get his team motivated. This team, so uh, I mean, the, the this regime seems so far out of touch with reality. It's it's concerning. But I do want to move over because uh, I want to get into hockey talk um, while we still have some time. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about, well, you're an Islanders fan, big Islanders fan. I'm a big Rangers fan. The Rangers play the Islanders uh, a couple nights ago, and then they play again in a week from now. Sorokin shut them out. I mean, there's not much to it. The Rangers put their, mm-hmm. you know, Halak out there and then, uh, they got shut out. What did you see in that game? What are your kind of expectations of these two teams right now? Well, what I saw in that game, I think, was Sorokin definitely stole the show. But I also think that as the game wore on, the Islanders got much more into their game. They got better. And I know the Rangers played the night before against Colorado, and they were tired, and they were probably tired. But the Rangers, they still had poured 40-plus shots on Sorokin. They had their yep. chances. I just think that I don't want to say the Islanders caught them on an off night, but I think the Islanders were the, as the game wore on, they were like, they played their game and the Rangers had no answer for it because I believe the stat was in the last nine minutes of regulation, the Rangers did not record a shot. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, and that's, uh, that's, that's Islanders hockey. That's Islanders hockey. That's shut down. That give them absolutely nothing. Expectations wise. Look right now, the Islanders like three game winning streak. Very like impressive right now. I, I I tweeted it out last week. Not like I don't think it was time to panic. I know a lot of people because that's just the way sports way fans are, especially the way hockey fans are. If you have a bad streak or you see two bad games, fire everybody, throw everyone under the bus, whatever. Um, I just think now the Islanders might be might start you know turning in a lot of like turning up their game a little bit. I think Barry Trotz said yesterday that that uh, that kind of game, especially on Saturday, that comeback win, get them their swagger back. For the Rangers, I feel like, and I'll take this from our uh, our good friend Johnny Lazarus. He said they were going to take a step back this year, and I didn't want to slight. I didn't want to disagree with him too uh, a lot, but I do agree in the sense that all right, they made the playoffs last year. They, they got to a point that no one expected them to. I think this year a lot more people are going to know the book on them. And not even that. The division's getting tougher. The conference is tougher. Yep. Uh, teams, uh, like even, let's go back to the Columbus game last Sunday, where if you get the, if like, if you get the Rangers off their game, they're a beatable team. Yep. And the fact to have to keep, and this is still where I think the step back is, they cannot rely on Igor Shosturkin to save them every single night. And I don't 100%. think they have – They don't. I don't think they have this year yet. I mean, there was the, the San Jose game 
probably like one example, but I saw it at many points last year. They expected Shesterkin to be incredible on a lot of nights. That's not what this, that if you're going to become a, a perennial, perennial Stanley cup contender each year, you can't uh, force your goaltender to save you every single night. And this also plays in the fact like where the Islanders stand, which, which uh, Sorokin, that's kind of like, and it's kind of been that way with their goaltenders the past few years, but the Islands play a more defensive style game. The Rangers don't. The Rangers are more up-tempo. They, have, they play a more offensive, they play a more aggressive offensive style. When they get exposed on defense, that's where there's the, that's where the problem lies. And that's where I think expectations for them are high, but I also, the realistic outlook is if they don't play good, if they don't support their goaltender defensively, they're going to have problems. They're really going to, they're going to have a lot of problems. Yep. Um, something that I thought of, cause I don't know if we'll get this on Tuesday, but we've been wanting Sorokin versus Sturkin for a long time. Mm-hmm. Sturkin of 19 opportunities since he's been called up to play against the Islanders in 19 games against the Islanders. He's only played in eight of them. Now he's one, six and one in those games. But I mentioned this to Johnny. He mentioned it on the podcast also this week. Why does it feel like the Rangers are holding Shesterkin out of these games against the Islanders? Well, I, I think, well, for example, I, I think let's take out last year because last week was a back-to-back and you're playing, you were playing the defending Stanley Cup champions and they went into it and the game went into a shootout. So let's say, I almost think that they want to say, uh, from my perspective, I think they want to save him for later in the year for when the games matter more. Divi- like in terms of, because the Rangers are supposed to be. But they just played him in a back-to-back this week, right? Yeah, but. I mean, Dallas, Arizona, it's two totally different ends of the uh, ends of the spectrum. I feel like as the year goes on and if the Rangers are going to be fighting for the division, let's let, let's say Carolina, Washington, Pittsburgh, the Islanders, whoever, I feel like that's when they're going to unleash him. I feel like last year they didn't do it as much because they didn't have to because no one expected them to to be where they were. No one expected them to be fighting for the like fighting for the metro division last year now they're supposed they're expected to win the metro this year and when the games like division games have more meaning to them in the second half of the year that's when all hands are on deck and i think that's when you're going to see him they're going to unleash him be like all right we're going to start playing you in every single division game doesn't matter we'll save halak for if there's a western conference opponent if there's an atlantic division if, if there's a interconference opponent doesn't matter but when it comes to division games, we're going to ride you, and that that way, once they get to the play, like once the playoffs are going, like once the playoffs are here, and let's say they made it, like like the, let's say they're in it, then he's ready. Then he's ready to take on that channel. Like he's right, he's already playing enough division games, and he'll be ready to go for the playoff, like for when the playoffs start. Yeah. Um. So as far as the Islanders, I feel like last year was a little bit of an aberration. The schedule screwed them. COVID screwed them. I was at the game at UBS. What was it? Thanksgiving Eve, right? Where they had to play there. with with nobody. And it was like, how are they let, making them play this game? It, it was just absurd. So I feel like, does this team return back to the team we saw two and three years ago? Is that what you expect from this Islanders team? I don't know if I would say two or three years ago, because it's not the same team as it was. Yes, there's still the same. There's mo- It's majority, but you lose guys like Jordan Everly, you lose guys like Nicoletti, you lose this guy, you lose that guy. You know, things are a little bit different. Yep. I think what we're seeing right now under Lane Lambert is they're still they're starting to find that rhythm again that was 
making them successful and made them who they were, made them a threat in the, uh, uh, what's called in the Metro a couple of years ago. So I don't know. Can they get back there? Yes. My thing is the way the offense is going right now, if they could, if they could keep that going on a consistent basis, then they're going to be, then they're going to be a team to be, uh, no one's going to want to feel that no one's going to want to play. Um, but I definitely think that I think they can get there. I still think it's too early. I, right. I almost, you know, everyone says Thanksgiving is like the the first like checkpoint or the yep. first real like starting point in the season where, you know, all right, this team's either they're going to not be a playoff team or they're going to fight for the playoffs or they're going to just cruise the rest of the year. I can't say, I can't say where the Islanders are yet. I, it's too early to determine if they like this kind of this stretch that they have coming this week where it's, uh, yeah, well, I know it starts in Chicago, Chicago tonight. tonight. Yep. Yeah. Like that's a game they should win. I, I mean, they, I think they're the, I think they're the better team. I think with the way the offense is going right now, I think they could have a real, they have a really good shot of winning. And of course you like Sorokin's in that. So you have the advantage there. They're going up against Alex Stalock, who is, he's Alex Stalock. He's not a great NHL goalie. They should Chicago take tonight, St. Louis, and then Detroit. So, yeah, and St. Louis is never an easy opponent. Detroit, Detroit this year is a just like they were last year. Like you see the, and I have to get off to have, You see the, uh, the promise. You yep. really see the promise. I saw it early last year when they played the Islands, and they their speed ran them out of the building. This year, it's like okay, you have a new head coach. You brought in a lot of good pieces, free agency wise and trade wise. They got to make that step now. And I said to, I think I said to a couple people that they're going to be, they'll be a team that if they like in the Atlantic, like they'll scare some teams. Like they yep. could scare a Toronto. They could scare a Boston. Like they can possibly be a, they could uh, grab a playoff spot this year. But I think they're still in that early part of the season where it's like, all right, we've seen the good from them. We saw the bad last time when they got smoked in Buffalo 8 3. Like that was just a shellacking. Yep. And it's like, what is this team? Like, what what are we still don't know what they are? And they're still growing. They still got guys who were who are only like second, third year guys. But now is their time for them to make that next step. And I look at I look at them, and it's like, all right, that's a hard opponent, but they're a beatable opponent. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, by the way, how awesome is UBS? I like it. I my problem with it, and I think a lot of this got lost in the shuffle last year was because of the way the year started and all the juice that was going into the season and having to start having to start 13 games on the road and then when they came back covid just ravaged them i feel like it took away from a lot of the juice and excitement look it's 100%. a, a fantastic it's a fantastic building and that's why this year you can enjoy it i mean yeah, I mean, look, I've only been to one game because of work. I went to the Ranger game. I'll be there for the Calgary game in 2 weeks. To me, the the building doesn't have the same charm. It has no charm yet as, like, let's say, like a Nassau Coliseum. There's no real home ice advantage yet, which, you know, they. it's not like they can't build it. It. I think if they start to win again this year, then you'll see that home ice advantage come back. Like, like the last couple of years at the Coliseum, you walk, like teams walked in there and they knew they were going to be in for a dogfight. They weren't yeah. just going to come in there and just – like run the Islanders over. Yeah, I was I was there. The last time I was there was right before COVID. 
at the uh, Mika overtime uh, game winning goal. I mean that game. Yeah, that, that, that but that was the barn. That game, that game was crazy. Yeah. That was what it was like. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people point out that it's cold, like well, not even just COVID, but like it's more corporate. This not what they made the ceiling lower, kind of the same. Like they made the ceiling like the same kind of way they did at the Coliseum. You're on top of the players. It's not. It's actually a very. It's a very intimate building. It's not like. It's not like being in New Jersey where you feel like if you're in like the last. Like it's not being like so a rock far away. Yeah. You feel like if you're in like the last row of like what is it the three hundreds or two hundreds or whatever, you feel like you're like so far away. Same this way in a, Washington, also you feel like you're a mile away. Yeah. yeah, it's a very like it's a very intimate building. I like it. I think it's a great place for them. I just think that they haven't built that home ice advantage yet, and there's no, there's nothing in that building yet that we're like like if you're an like if you're uh, an opponent coming in, it's like oh like we should fear this play. Like we should fear playing here. And yep. it's not like, it's not like that for a lot of buildings. The only, I mean, technically the only two barns still left in the NHL are, you could even say Arizona now with their college, rank, whatever, <laughs> but Calgary, Calgary is like the saddle dome is still there until they get their new building and Winnipeg, even though Winnipeg, which I've come to know was an A, it's an AHL arena, but it's a small barn. It's an intimate barn. It's it's like one of those, where they're on top of you. If the, right. if you're if you're on top of the players, it's a lot different. So that's why the Coliseum was so great. Is you were like right on top of the action, and they could hear you. They could hear you in the locker rooms. Yep. You don't get that in many buildings. Like they yep. can hear you before the game. It, it's that loud. But I feel like as this season wears on, I think that home ice advantage will build as, as long as the Islanders are a good team. If they're not, if they're not a good team, and it had like the same thing happened last uh, this year that happened last year, then it's going to be so much more difficult for them to really make it seem like, all right, it's our home building. Like, this is our place. Like no one comes in here. Like we're going to beat you. We're going to win. Like you're not coming in here. Uh, with, uh, you're not going to win here. So as a fan, it's great. As someone who's a observe, like a hockey observer and went from like, had like only been a couple buildings in my life, but like going from the Coliseum to this, it's like, it's still building. It's still like, it's still developed that, that, that home ice advantage and that charm still is like, it's in the beginning of stages. Yeah. Are you a basketball fan at all? Sadly, I am not like, I absolutely despise the New York Knicks because <laughs> a lot of my, I grew I'm up a Knicks a fan. I also despise the Knicks. So <laughs> well, I, here, I don't despise them because they're the Knicks. I despise them because they're just a terrible franchise. They're just a terrible franchise. And they're the perfect the more... example of what we talked about with Steve Cohen, where you could throw as much money and try as hard as you want, do everything within your ability yep. to win and still be cursed. You know, everything you touch turns to, you know, crap. Yeah. For me, like basketball, you know, hockey's like, I'm always going to be a hockey guy. Like basketball, if LeBron is on or if Curry is on or if Doncic, like the major names, I'll watch, but. I can't tell, like, I wouldn't be able to tell you the fundamentals or anything like that. And for me, because I don't like the Knicks when they've been losing the past decade, it just makes for great, it makes for great radio. It makes for great content. No matter, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, the city is much more on fire when the Knicks Negativity win. sells. Negativity sells. And when it, because of like, because of how the Knicks have been up until this year, like, look, I know they made the playoffs a few years ago, won one playoff game and people thought they won the, won the NBA title. And I thought like yep. the way the way that series unfolded and how like 
it's just like I love seeing Knicks fans in misery because they go nuts. Like they, they go absolutely crazy when because as you said, negativity sells. And because they're a New York team, and I know that they're like the premier franchise here. Like forget about the Nets. Like like this was like this is a Knicks town. When they're bad and people are going off the deep end, it just like I have a sly grin on my face because you got guys like Stephen A and Beningo and Boomer and Geo and whoever whoever you want to throw in there and how they just go off on them. Just like they went on just like they do on any other team that's having a like a crappy season or is never gonna get out of the way. Like, like for example, the Jets. It just makes for great radio because it's like it's the fandom here. It really is. The fandom in the in this like in this area in like it's different it's just different from everything else and i've seen that growing up and not even like i said not liking basketball but because the knicks are the knicks and it's like basketball is one of the big like it's one of the biggest sports on the planet and it is here in the city when they're bad it just makes like it's it, i don't know why it's like messed up it's it's like backward it's like reverse it's like reverse psychology but yeah, I, I can't blame you as all, at all because I'm seeing it now with myself. Like I, I hate the Nets and I love what you know what they're going the through. Nets? What's what's there to hate about the Nets? They've done nothing to you guys. Oh my except god! Beat, except beat them in the playoffs. They're just the little brother who thinks that they're so good right now because they, you know, they got KD and Kyrie. But whatever, I, I'm not even going to get into that right now. Um, I do want to thank you. Uh, you gave us a lot of time, so I really appreciate that. Um. If you have stuff to plug, because I know you're always hustling with other stuff on the side, so uh, please plug that. Yeah, I, I really don't have much to plug. I, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, rtub underscore, if you like uh, hockey clips and gifts and all that stuff. I still I do that from time to time, uh, but that's basically it. Like, I I, I really don't write anymore. I, it's more of a it was a it's more of a decision than a preference because with the NHL they said you can't really blog anymore. You can't do this. I'm like, all right, whatever. So, but. Like, no, I don't really have much stuff to plug, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, I like, I engage with my followers, you know, to a degree until they get like a little bit <laughs> out they there. Turn to Twitter and, followers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everything, but uh, yeah, that's basically it. And I know I definitely appreciate you having me, man. This was great. Love to do it again. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. Thanks again to Rob Taub. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Like I said, we could have gone on for hours about a bunch of those topics, specifically the Jets. We probably could have done a three-hour show. So I know at this point you're listening to this, and we're well over an hour, and this is going to be one of the longest episodes I do. Um, the Islanders, by the way, just an update on them. They also won. They play Islanders hockey. They score a goal, get a scrappy goal, and then they just play shutdown defense. Uh, they score another goal to make it two nothing. Then they give up a like kind of a fluky goal, and then they just keep it locked down defense and score a late game uh, empty netter to win the game. Uh, so the Islanders doing Islander things. When we talked about um, Islander style hockey, uh, that's what I talked about. Also, I'm going to do more on the Jets and Buffalo game next episode because I do have a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. So episode 110, which should be out Friday morning as usual, uh, where we pick the games. We'll talk a little bit more about the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. Also, there are six teams, once we're talking about the NFL, there are six teams on a bye this week. So it's going to be an interesting week in the NFL. Cleveland, the Giants, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Dallas, and Denver all have bye weeks this week in the NFL. So six six teams. I don't know why, who the schedule makers are, but six teams 
on a bye feels like way too many teams to be on a bye at once. All right, I do want to talk about the net situation, and I don't feel like I'm doing it justice. All the crazy things that happened today, the net situation, obviously, is the biggest one of the biggest ones amongst them. First of all, Kyrie Irving, two for twelve tonight, four points as the Nets lose uh, to Chicago. Screw him, I hate him. I'm officially out on Kyrie Irving. I've defended him enough, but uh, just outwardly anti-Semitic slurs and the fact that the NBA has not done anything about it yet, especially what after the reaction they had last year to the Myers Myers Leonard situation, um, it's just crazy to me that uh, they haven't done anything with Kyrie Irving yet. It's sad. It's and it's it's scary because I've seen some of the comments in the comment section on Twitter. Uh, when people were talking about it, when people posted the picture of those three or four or five, I guess it was, Jewish kids uh, sitting front seat at the Nets game, like some of the comments in that section, uh, some of the tweets and replies were really, really scary as a Jew in this uh, country right now. But, um, you know, I, I don't make the rules. I'm not going to be over political on this podcast also. But, uh, yeah, yikes. And I feel like the only saving grace is that if Kyrie's not going to be, be taken care of by the league, he'll take care of himself eventually because he'll screw something up. So the Nets, they fire Steve Nash. And we actually, it was funny because we had between me and a few friends in another fantasy football league, we actually put money on Indiana, the Indiana Pacers, and parlayed that with Cincinnati. Last night, of course, we lost the bet because Indiana ultimately lost by six. Uh, Their comeback fell short against the Nets. And we were talking the whole game about how, and by the way, obviously, Cincinnati got blown out by Cleveland. But we were talking the whole game. We were talking about how Steve Nash was a dead man walking. And um, I think it was Bill Simmons tweeted about it, how he coached that whole fourth quarter with a bag, with a suitcase between his legs, making that joke. But he wins the game. He pulls out the win. It's like, okay, I guess his job is safe for now. And then, yet, he still gets fired after the game. So that kind of made me laugh. He's done with the Nets. He's out. KD was funny after the game. He's like, yeah, it's always shocking when stuff like that happens. Is it really, KD? Is it really shocking when that happens? Like, you're the one who controls this franchise. You're the one who makes the decisions around here. Are you really uh, that surprised that, that Steve Nash was fired? I doubt it. Kevin Durant is so good. If it weren't for Kevin Durant, they'd definitely lose that game. They do lose tonight um, to Chicago. And then the obvious thing happens, and they go in on Ime Adoka. And to me, it's like the nail, the Nets failed up. Boston decided that they had to get Ime out of there. They had to discipline him because he did something in their building that they couldn't stand for. And the Nets, it's almost like, well, we have so much bad press and so much bad publicity between Steve Nash, between everything with Kevin Durant, between what's going on with Kyrie Irving and all the crazy things he says. Why not just add more to the pile and just lean into the whole us being a total train wreck of a franchise, being a total sleazebag organization and dirtbag and nobody wants to actually like let's lean into the villain aspect of this but this is real human life and if what Ime did was so bad that he actually deserves to be suspended by the Celtics he's not suspended by the league so the Celtics are like here take him but at the same time it's smart what the Nets did right we're going to go out and not only are we going to get one of the best head coaches in the league and maybe he can finally figure out a way to get this team to gel and get this team to just shut the f up and play basketball and play winning basketball the way he did with the Celtics but not only are we going to do that We're also going to take away one of the best head coaches in the league away from one of our biggest rivals in the league. So it's actually a pretty smart thing what the Nets did. That said, in my opinion, I think it's time. Brad Stevens, you were off the bench for a little while. It's time to step back, get back on the bench, and be the head coach in Boston. Start or finish what you started because 
what Ime started and what Ime did last year was incredibly impressive. And I feel like he played a major role in the team gelling together and finally fitting and turning into the championship team, championship caliber team that they did turn into. And I think that job is not done. And I think uh, Brad Stevens at this point, it's been set up for him. He should get back behind that bench because we know what a good head coach he was at one point in his career. And it feels like he could still be that guy if he decided to become the head coach of the Celtics. So we'll see where that goes. I talked about it at the time of the Ime suspension. And now with Ime gone completely and out of the building, it feels like the right time for Brad Stevens to do that. Uh, for the Nets, like I said, good for them. And I think it actually will work. It, I think they failed up and it upsets me because I don't know what the email story is. I don't know what the full story is. Maybe we'll get some answers on that. Maybe we'll get some clearer answers if he does a press conference of some sorts when he comes back and when he's introduced as the Nets head coach. But whatever it is, the Nets obviously don't care about any kind of sensibility or uh, human rights or anything like that. They just care about trying to salvage a move that they made, which was essentially going in on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and has been a terrible decision. And yet... If they had to do it again, they would do it over and over again because, like we've talked about, they are half a shoe size away from actually that move working out. And they still, because of how good Kevin Durant is, because of how talented Kyrie Irving is on the basketball court, and even Ben Simmons and the talent that he's shown at times, it still feels like this team, if they get all the right things together and they actually buy in, could actually be a really, really good championship caliber basketball team. They're not that today, and I am enjoying watching that. And as long as we can keep making fun of them and the total mess of disaster of an organization that they are, I'll continue to do that. But I do think the email move will work out for them. All right, I'm going to pick my Thursday night football game. And then in one of the longest episodes, probably the longest episode of the Rami Lavi podcast in history uh, will be over. So let's talk about Thursday night football. We have the Philadelphia Eagles going to face the Texans. In Houston, we've talked about this game for a while. Did you know that not only are the Houston Texans playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, but the Houston Astros are also playing against the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series? And those games are going to be two days apart? What? Actually, now it's not even true anymore because uh, because of the rain delay that pushed off Game 3 of the World Series. So now there was a game Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. So there's going to be a game the same night. And then Friday night is the travel day. And then Saturday is the next game of the World Series. So that whole thing got screwed up. Um, I would guess that the Eagles, even on the road, are favored by, I want to say, nine and a half. It's a Thursday night football game. I'm going to guess nine and a half. And the line is 13 and a half. Holy crap. Oh, wow. That's a huge line. Um, I'm going to... Wow. So the method tells me to take the the Eagles, right? I'm going to take the Texans anyway. 13 and a half. I hate taking huge numbers. I hate taking teams, even uh, a team as good as the Phillies against a team that's 1-5-1 and one, like the Houston Texans. It's Thursday night football. There might not be 14 points score total. So uh, I'm going to take the Texans to cover the plus 13 and a half. That'll do it. The next time you hear from me will be after Thursday night football, Friday morning, previewing the whole day in the NFL. Long, long episode. Again, thanks so much to Rob Taub. Thank you all for listening. Again, use my code at... Uh, betterhelp.com slash Rami R-A-M-I my first name for 10% off also rate, review, like, subscribe share the podcast with a friend and until next time I'll see you all later you were the best nights of my life you got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high when you take me to your eyes like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti 
I'm still here. 